Welcome back to another episode of the Widow I Go From Here podcast, a podcast for anyone felt thrown into a season they were not prepared for. I am your host, Daisha Carter, and my goal is to focus on finding strength in God while walking the agonizing path of grief with the hope of discovering that Jesus is always the way. Here you will find candid talk steadied by the powerful word of God. Thanks for tuning in, and now let's listen and enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Widow I Go From Here podcast. Today is part three of our three-part podcast series, Down to the Nitty Gritty, Embracing Our Suffering. And my goal was to talk through, walk through, how does one truly embrace pain and trials? How do we go from avoiding suffering to surrendering to it and becoming men and women that embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And so for the first two parts, I wanted to lay a foundation. You know, I took a major hit when my husband died and his death left my heart broken in a way that I've never experienced before. And what I come to realize is that God was preparing me for his death well before he actually passed away. And it was the season when my marriage was on the rocks that God was teaching me how to suffer as a Christian. And so for today's dive, we'll start in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. And it says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit your lives to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. And this was the perfect scripture for me at that time because I was suffering because I was dealing with the consequences of my sin. But I had repented, you know, he chose to stay and work it out. And I was seeking credit. I wanted credit for what I was doing right. But the Bible says, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. You know, it wasn't about me suffering for a little while and then reverting back to living by the flesh when I didn't get my way. You know, God is saying, that he commends those who suffer for doing good and endure it, right? And remember, I talked about there is no timeline on endurance. There's no timeline. Well, God doesn't give us insight into how long it's going to take for endurance to finish its work, for perseverance to finish its work. And so... This is where my foundational scripture had to come into play. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a liar. If he says he commends those who suffer for doing good and endure it, he means it. You know, he has no reason to lie about it. And 
you know, let's be real. Like who wants to suffer for doing good? You know, we equate good with no suffering. We say life is good when there's no pain. So in order to live this scripture out, I had to take God at his word. And here's the kicker. In verse 21, it says, to this you were called. <laughs> and so I'm like, what? I was called to a life of suffering for doing good? To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And in that instant, it all became clear. You know, Peter, he doesn't just stop there. He lays out the example that Christ had set for me. One, he committed no sin. Two, no deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't lie. He didn't use deception to try and get his way. That meant I needed to be truthful no matter what questions were thrown at me. Three, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. That meant even if my husband kept throwing my sin in my face, I didn't have to respond by throwing his sin in his face. When he suffered, he made no threats. That meant when I was in pain, I didn't have to threaten him with get out, move out, or whatever other threats you know, that would cause him pain. Verse 23 says, instead, instead of sinning, instead of lying, being deceitful, throwing insults, making threats, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Entrust, to commit, consign, hand over, confer, give custody, give free reign, authorize, rely on, have faith in, believe in, be dependent on, have confidence in. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You know, God's judgment is honest, unbiased. It's perfect. I can trust his judgment. Verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so remember last week in Hebrews, it said, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in, this race we're in, study how he did it. You know, what did he do? He suffered for doing good by carrying my sins in his body on the cross so that I would die to sin and live for righteousness. So that means all the slaps to his face, being spit on, flogged, beat, tortured, murdered. 
was healing for me. All of that was for my healing. He endured the cross and the shame so that I might live a righteous life. And this is the life that Christians are called to live. This is the life I was being called to. And I don't have to guess about, you know, how, how should I live this out? Like Jesus gave me an example to follow. And so in that, you know, the spirit didn't mix words. In the very next chapter, in 1 Peter 3, 1, it says wives in the same way. In what same way? In the same way that Jesus submitted and entrusted himself to God by suffering for doing good, suffering so that you and I can live a righteous life, not sinning, not retaliating, not threatening, but persevering and enduring. In the same way, wife, Submit yourselves to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And I talked about, you know, testing and approving the will of God. And this scripture was the first scripture that I intentionally tested. You know, ever so often asking the spirit, you know, is it time? <laughs> is it over? <laughs> you know, but I had to let perseverance finish its work. And what perseverance was doing was teaching me how to rely on God and not my husband to meet my emotional needs, how to rely on God and not my husband for my confidence and security. You know, God was teaching and educating me on how to find my value in him and not a man, how to go through hard times in relationships righteously. He was teaching me how to be a good and faithful friend. And I couldn't learn all that stuff in a month, you know, just because I got tired in 90 days doesn't mean that perseverance finished its work. And I know I've said a few times on the podcast, when I did it God's way, when I shut my mouth, God was educating and training me on how to win my husband over without words. Right, talking about testing and approving when I started to do it God's way, when I followed Jesus's example and my husband's heart started to soften, that blew my mind because I saw when his heart went dark. I saw it when he threw in the towel on God. I saw him go back to worldly living and not care. 
you know, and in order to live out first Peter two and three, I needed to add and hold on to another foundational scripture. First John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When we bear up under the pain, the way Jesus did it, being conscious of God, in order to do that, we can't give in to fear. You know, why do we retaliate? Because we don't trust God enough to get even for us. We fear that the person who's done us wrong will get over on us, get over on us. And that some way, somehow God doesn't see it, <laughs> you know, far be it from us to let somebody get over on us. You know, why do we repay insult for insult? Because far be it from us to sit in the shame of being insulted. But that's what Jesus did. He didn't just endure the cross. He endured the shame that came with it, the humiliation. He didn't need to repay an insult with an insult because he knew that God would make his enemies his footstool in, in God's timing, you know, not his. But he made no threats. In Matthew, as Jesus stood trial in the NIV, it says, then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Right? When you think about trial, like what do, that's what you do at trial. You defend yourself, right? There's a lot of talking, a lot of going back and forth, a lot of accusations, cross-examining, pleading your case. Like that's what you do at trial. But the Bible says Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus, an innocent man, was about to die a death that was meant for me. And he stayed silent content to be accused falsely, to be insulted, to take on the punishment of the world. And his silence blew Pilate away. You know, what does that say about Jesus? Like he didn't just talk a good game, he lived it. He didn't have to defend himself because he entrusted himself to God. He knew that God had him. He knew God's judgment was just. There was no fear of giving his heart fully only to be rejected because his life was in God's hands. God was the one that had his heart. God was the one that preserved his life, not man. 
In 1 John 4, 16, it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There's that intimacy again. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And since God is love, I just replaced love with God. This is how God is made complete among us. There is no fear in God. Perfect God drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And so I would talk because I feared that if I didn't get my point across, I would be misunderstood. And that would drive an even bigger wedge between me and my husband. I talked because I felt like I had to defend every accusation that was thrown my way. I talked because I felt like I had to over communicate my love and intentions in order for him to stay and not leave. You know, I talked a lot because I feared punishment, the loss of my family as a result of my sin. But first John says the one who fears is not made perfect in God. So I had to look at Jesus and I had to model. I had to entrust myself to God. You know, even if I lost my family, that was just a consequence of my sin, but it wasn't punishment. In God, I had nothing to fear. If my husband left me and didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore, I would be okay because God had me in the palm of his hands. So when I followed Jesus's lead and did it how he did it and, and, and witnessed a transformation in my husband's life that was brought on by Spirit-led behavior with no words? Like, you have no idea how many times I wanted to say something, get my point across, open up the Bible. But when I witnessed my husband's restoration to Christ after eight long years, and half of those years was me being silent, trusting God to, to do the talking for me, not trying to hold on to a man, but clinging to God. Approved. Tested and approved. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And it was all for me. Like that had nothing to do with Kima. And God had him on his journey, teaching and educating him on the things he needed. But his walk with God had nothing to do with me. So four years later, when God chose to call his son home, the notion that God wasn't good or that he was unfair 
never crossed my mind. Yes, I had questions. Why did you take him so young? Why did you leave me here with these boys by myself? But because he had already established key foundational things in my heart and in my life, I tested and approved the will of God on other things. So I knew that his will would eventually turn out for my good in, in this season. Even though it didn't feel like it, even though I couldn't see it. Submission of my will, taking what was, reconciling it with what is and trusting God with what's to come. When I bow my life in humility and say, God, your will be done through the power of the Holy Spirit, I actually find out that God's will is pretty good, <laughs> that it is pleasing, it brings joy, and that it is perfect, everything working out for our good. And so when we stop fighting to do it our way and entrust ourselves to God, you know, what's next? After submission of the wills, then what? Then there's obedience. You know, I know not many of us like that word, <laughs> but John 8, 31 and 32 says, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So truth in and of itself doesn't set anyone free. You know, that's the lie that Satan wants us to believe, but it's holding to the teachings of Jesus that gives us knowledge of the truth. It's obedience to that truth that sets us free. So years before my husband died, I was free. Free from fear, free from the fear of him leaving me, free from me living a life that was codependent on him. I became fully dependent on God while he was alive. And he saw it. You know, he saw the change in me when God set me free. Moving and shaking for the Lord. And I don't know what it is about men, but when you become free, that becomes attractive to them. That's just funny. But the life I lived, I lived in God. The love I gave, I gave because I was loved by God. Not looking to receive anything back in return. You know, and I'm not saying that there wasn't reciprocation in, in my marriage. Of course there was. Like, who gets married <laughs> to not give and receive love? But my inner foundation was no longer built on the love I did or did not receive from my husband, from a man, a person. My inner foundation was rock solid because of Christ and the work he did in my life. So on April 7, 2017, 
Yes, that was the most devastating thing that has ever happened to me. Was I afraid? Yes. This was new. I had no idea what was going to happen, how I was going to parent, how I was going to live without him, not to mention the pain. It is a pain that is truly indescribable. But at my core, I knew that God was good, that his will is perfect, and that some way, somehow, even this would work out for my good. So I embraced the suffering. I submitted my will and I obeyed. And, and I will say this, obedience and grief and loss and death looks differently than, you know, obeying Matthew 28, 18, go make disciples. In loss, obedience is allowing the Holy Spirit to comfort you. And that looks different for each individual that experiences a loss. For me, the spirit needed to comfort me by slowing me down. And I had to obey that, you know, in order for me to sit on this podcast and say, I've tested it, I've approved it, you know, grieving God's way is good for you. I had to obey. Even though I wasn't opening my Bible every day and taking these deep dives into the scriptures, the spirit was still speaking. He would speak to me through music, through lyrics. There's this song by Aaliyah called I Care For You. And I would listen to the melody and her voice was so angelic. And I changed the lyrics to envision God singing to me. That comforted my soul. Like the Holy Spirit was comforting me through various ways as I embraced the pain of losing my love. I was practicing obedience when I didn't rush it. I was practicing obedience when I turned to God instead of turning to wine. I was practicing obedience when I chose not to work it off and ignore it. I embraced it and allowed the spirit to comfort me in ways that only he could. That's his role. It was God's will that Kima would die at 44 years old. And after submitting to God's will for our lives, we must obey. Obedience begins and ends with following the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, <laughs> part three, down to the nitty gritty. And I, you know, I know I talked about a lot of things in this series. And so these are some of the key points I'd like you to walk away with. So one, suffering isn't always the work of Satan. Many times it's the work of the Holy Spirit. First Peter 4, 12 says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come 
on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Acts 14.22 says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Number two, suffering as a Christian always produces something good. Don't avoid it. Embrace it. Number three, establish your foundational truths in each season. They may change depending on what you're going through, but you need them to build your life on the rock. Everything in life is shaky. Everything is faulty, but God. Number four, get to know God. Understanding his heart and his motives are crucial to embracing the suffering that he allows in our lives. Number five, God is who he says he is, regardless of how it feels. Number six, study how Jesus did it. He's our prime example. Number seven, repentance is key. The Greek word for repentance in the New Testament is metanoia. Meta meaning change, as in the word metamorphosis. Noia meaning mind changing your mind. In Hebrew, the word in the Old Testament is shu, meaning to turn back. So when I use the word repentance, it's not saying I'm sorry, it's changing your mind and changing your direction. Number eight, test God's will so that you can approve it. Number nine, once you test and approve it, submission of your will becomes wisdom for you. And who doesn't want to be wise, right? And number 10, after submission, we must obey. Suffering from God is not punishment. It's love, it's education, and it's training. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Widow I Go From Here podcast. Remember, God does not give you more than he can handle. And until the next time, folks, bye for now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it. Episodes are released on Wednesdays. To find out what I'm up to, please follow me on Instagram at Widow I Go From Here and check out my website at widowigofromhere.com. And until the next time, folks, bye for now.